Well, good morning, Spring Valley, as we worship together on uh, this Sunday morning. And uh, to others who might be joining us, this is our, our sixth week of uh, worshiping separately at home and hearing the message by video here on this afternoon as we make that. Uh, the day also begins a new six-week study uh, in our life group sessions. And uh, the way that we're set up that we started in the 1st of March is that I introduce the, the, the lesson, the topic, uh, or the scripture with the sermon, and then you go to your life group, and then you have your, your lesson and you study about that. This new series is called Dealing with Messy Relationships. And I think uh, we could all identify with the fact that sometimes uh, relationships in, in life do get messy. And relationships get messy because we're a fallen people, and we live in a, a fallen world, uh, with pride and egos and a self-focused attitude. And that can cause trouble in our attempt to live in relationship with others uh, who might just have the same kinds of attitude. And when that happens, life gets messy. Now, my hope and prayer for you would be that during this time of being quarantined to home, is either work or home, uh, that you've had the opportunity to uh, grow in depth in your, in your Bible study and your devotion time and prayer life and closer walk with God. And my prayer is also that uh, your family has grown closer together and you're doing more things together, maybe playing games, doing some mission projects together. Uh, hopefully you have rediscovered the family meal that maybe it's gone, uh, gone by the wayside in times past. But for others of you, you might have discovered that uh, the, the walls of your house are more confining than they are cozy. And, and life has gotten messy in your home in relationships. Tempers flare. Patience is in short supply. And the domestic tranquility is fragile. So as we look through this series on messy relationships, hopefully in these six weeks as we look at these six biblical traits that God wants us to express that hopefully can prohibit some messy relationships as well as clean up some of those messy relationships that we got already. Uh, we'll look at these things. We'll look at love. We'll look at encouragement. We'll look at forgiving and serving and yielding and accepting one another. And I, I want to challenge you again and remind you that uh, day by day after your life group, and I, and I hope you're plugging into your life group on Sunday mornings that y'all are doing it some kind of way through telephoning or through uh, uh, Skype or through uh, Zoom or something that, that you've got your life group focusing together on Sunday mornings. And that's important. But we also designed this process following Bible Studies for Life uh, so that you could have your discipleship guide that after your lesson on Sunday, then you've got five days to incorporate that scripture and that teaching into your quiet time and hopefully for the process of developing or more like a, a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to, to use that five-day guide after you have your life group lesson. That's very important, very significant. And, and all age levels in the church, except our children who are finishing up the gospel project, all age levels in our church should be having the same topic and same scripture, so it would be a great family time to discuss those things. And that's why we moved to that curriculum. But... In your life group, you will focus on uh, Jesus' teaching about love out of John 14 verses, uh, John 15 verses 9 through 14. 
But I want to back up a couple of chapters in the Gospel of John as I introduce this concept of the love that Jesus is talking about. Uh, I think because when we understand the setting and the significance of that, then what we read and study in, in the life group out of John 15 will give us a cohesive thought. So wh what is the setting in John 13? Well, it, it, it's the setting in the upper room as John gives it to us. They celebrated the Lord's Supper that night. Following Passover, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate. But John doesn't give us the details about that. He doesn't talk about the bread and the cup. Instead, he talks about the fact that, that Jesus got up, took off his garments, and put a towel around himself, and then knelt with a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples. And he washed all 12 of them, including Judas. And I think that the reason that John incorporated that into his, into his writing of the gospel is because I think it's his way of saying that Jesus was demonstrating what he was going to say about love. So when you get to your lesson out of John 15, hopefully that and what we talk about today here out of John 13 We'll put all that together in a cohesive thought that Jesus is demonstrating what he's going to teach about love. So let's look at John chapter 13 and verses 31 through 35. When he was gone, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's a great teaching in it, profound teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples. A new command that we love one another. So what does he mean by a, a, a new command? Why does Jesus call it a new command? Well, I want to answer that by two points and then three applications for understanding how we live in this love relationship that he talks about and, and how that kind of uh, appropriate love can deal with the messy relationships that we sometimes find ourselves in. So first of all, uh, I think he called it a new command because Jesus gave a new definition of love. He gave a new definition of love. Because the, the idea of loving one's neighbor uh, is it, in the Bible very early on. In fact, in Leviticus 19, 18, God said to the Israelites, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, that sounded great. As long as you were actually in a next-door relationship with people who loved you, and they were all of the same, same nationality, and so it was easy to love one another. And loving the neighbor was a close-knit community kind of love. But Jesus came along and gave an entirely different definition to this concept of love and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 25 through 27, we read these words. 
On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? That's Jesus asking those questions. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. uh, That that scripture was used by one of our children's workers that shared online this week about uh, uh, giving a message to the children in a class. So Jesus makes those comments about about love. He said, how, how do you understand it? And the man said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then one of the Jews asked him then, who is my neighbor? I think he was trying to get out of loving one's neighbor, and he wanted Jesus to more narrowly define that. So Jesus told the story that we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan, about the man traveling between Jericho and Jerusalem who was who was beset by robbers, and they robbed him, and they stripped him, and and they beat him, and they left him for dead. And two religious leaders, a Levi and a priest, came by, but they went on the other side of the road and didn't do anything for him. And then came a Samaritan. And that would really have irked the ire of of the Jews who were hearing this because they despised the Samaritans because they lived to the north of Israel, and they were a mixed-race group of people. But Jesus made the Samaritan the heroes. We'll call him the Good Samaritan. He took that man who had been beaten and robbed and he bound up his wounds. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to an inn. He paid for his stay. And he said, when I come back to take care of him, if I owe more, I will pay for it. And so then Jesus looked at him and he said, now who was the neighbor to this man? And the Jews who heard that said, were the ones who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Now go and do likewise. So according to this new definition of Jesus, loving your neighbor means showing mercy and kindness to anyone who is in need, not just your neighbor in your neighborhood. In fact, Jesus even taught us to love our enemies. In Galatians 5.14, The Apostle Paul wrote that the entire law is summed up in the commandment where Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So I think what that says to us is before we can love others, we have to be able to love ourselves. Now there's a huge difference between loving yourself and self-love. Self-love involves that pride and ego where you think you are God's gift to the world. But loving yourself means that you love yourself and accept yourself the way that God loves you and accepts you. So this is a new command that Jesus gave because Jesus gave a new definition of love. That we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and our neighbor that we love is anybody who is in need of that love. So that's the first trait we're looking at and solving messy relationships. And Jesus is teaching us that it is a sign of a true believer to show that kind of love because he said, by this, you will show that you are a disciple of mine. So it was a new commandment because Jesus gave a new definition of love. All right, then, uh, I think it's a new command because not only did Jesus give a new definition to love and loving your neighbor, 
but it's a new command because Jesus gave a new demonstration of love. He gave us a new demonstration of love. Within hours after Jesus taught this lesson to his disciples in the upper room, Jesus would be nailed to a Roman cross and he would die there as God's sacrifice for our sins. And it was later that evening in teaching and talking with the disciples that Jesus said, greater love has no one than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. I think what Jesus was saying is this, I'm going to demonstrate to you what love really is. Watch what happens to me tomorrow. I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's how he demonstrated this new command to love. That it's a, that it's a self-giving love. I think if there's one verse of scripture that probably every believer knows is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I've learned it in so many different translations. That was probably my own translation there, putting several of them together. But there's another John 3.16 that's important for us to learn, and that's 1 John 3.16, which reads this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So in the Bible, I think we've learned that love is laying down your life for others. And that perhaps is a difficult concept for many of us to, to grasp. Because we think about love in different ways. For most of us, we think love is a feeling. You meet a beautiful girl or you meet a handsome man and you, and you get some kind of feeling, emotion that goes through you. And, and love does inspire some emotions. But it's more than just simply a feeling. And the second mistake I think we make in thinking that love is, is just some uncontrollable force. We talk about falling in love and falling out of love. We don't fall in love, you fall in holes. You don't fall out of love, you fall out of trees. The reason for that is, is because love is a choice. And one of the problems we have in our English language is, we have only one word for love, spelled L-O-V-E, to describe many different aspects of love. I could say, I love my wife, I love my country, I love my church, and all of that is true. But we use the same one word, love, but yet that love is expressed on different levels, from my wife to the country to the church. So we need to understand that in the Greek language, there were many different words for love. In fact, the four that are most prominent uh, really help us understand what Jesus is teaching here. Uh, this year on, on the Super Bowl, we always look forward, or, or at least I do, to the ads. They always pre premiere some of the most outstanding ads that you will find for certain products through the year. And they pay a lot of money to do that as well on, on the Super Bowl halftime or throughout the game. But I think the best Super Bowl commercial, in fact, maybe the best commercial I have ever seen, ever, was one that was shown during the Super Bowl, and it was about New York life insurance. And they showed the different words for love in the Greek and then in the English, and then they had some beautiful moving scenes that illustrated each of those concepts of love. 
So the four Greek words that we emphasize today for love are these. First is storge, and that means simply affection. And it appears in the New Testament when Paul writes and says that we should be devoted to each other. That's on one level of love. Then there is filio, and that's the friendship love. Uh, it's brotherly love. We get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love from that. And that concept of friendship love is used 21 times in the New Testament. When Jesus stood with Mary and Martha right beside the grave of their, their brother Lazarus and Jesus' friend, and, and Jesus wept, those who were standing there said, see how he loved him. And the word used there in the Greek is that filio love. There was a brotherly love between Jesus and Lazarus. Then there is the word eros, which of course is, uh, gives us the concept of romance and the word erotic. And then there is agape love, which is unselfish love. And that appears hundreds of times in the New Testament. That's the word for love that Jesus used in John 13 when he says, love one another as I have loved you. It is a selfless love. It is an overlooking love. It is loving somebody in spite of all the messiness in their life. So if you and I are ever going to love like Jesus loved, then we need to understand what agape love really is. I think John, uh, I think Paul gives to us some, some great ways to understand that concept when he writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13. And I've, I've used these verses 4 through 7 so many times in weddings because I, I think in that wedding ceremony, that's the time when you take each other for better, for worse, or sickness and health, or richer and poor. You need to understand that sometimes life is going to get messy. Marriage is messy. You're bringing two people and trying to make one out of them. And so Paul describes love this way. And he uses agape. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So, if we are going to be true followers of Jesus Christ and emulating his love, then we have to practice agape love, remembering that it is more than a feeling, but it is a choice. We have to choose to exercise that selfless love. And here's where I think there are three great ways we can apply that agape love into our life. One is that agape love helps me to be patient with people who are annoying and irritating. That's not you, but you know people who are like that, right? See, the Bible says love is patient. One of the places where we have to show that is when you're having to rub elbows or shoulders with people who sometimes are just annoying and irritating. There's just something about them that just annoys us or irritates us. I came across this little poem many years ago that says, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with folks we know, now that's another story. We all know that there are sweet, wonderful, kind people in the world. But we also have come across some people 
who are irritating and annoying. Um, this week, as I was preparing for, for this uh, sermon, I, I happened to come across a, uh, a, a piece of information that was placed on my desk. And, and the top of it is entitled, Tips and Tricks for Dealing with Annoying People. So I figured Cookie had put that there. My wife Cookie had put that there. Uh, and I wondered, is this a message that she's given to me that maybe being confined in the house, uh, spending so much time together after being married over 44 years that maybe I was becoming an annoying person. But when I asked her about it, she said, no, no, no. That's one of the helps for teachers of life groups. And she teaches the Faith Foundation's life group. So I don't know who wrote it, but this is the guy's observation. I want to share some of the things with you that, that he talks about 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 dealing with annoying people. And he says, some people just annoy us. They make us uncomfortable. Sometimes we just loathe them. You know, and I wonder if God ever sees us that way. And then he said one day on the road, a car passed him that had a bumper sticker that said, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And God loves us unconditionally, but our human tendency is to attach conditions. So here's how he summarized these things. We would do well to constantly remind ourselves that God does not love like we do. And he quotes Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says, no, God does not love like we do, but we are called to love like he does. And he quotes 1 John 4, 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so he kind of summarized his whole article by saying, so what do we do with that annoying person? And he said, here are my three tips. Love the person, and that's got to be agape love because that's a choice. Pray God's blessings and grace on that person. And then he uses the phrase rinse and repeat. And he closes by saying, since God can love somebody like me, then I could do the same for other people. So we kind of use that agape love and choose to love the way that God loves us when we deal with those people that irritate and annoy us in life. Second application is that agape love allows me to show kindness to those around me. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 13 that the Bible says love is kind. Now, if we only show kindness to those who are kind to us, that doesn't require agape love. We're just reciprocating the same love that we have received. Now, I think we would have to be very creative uh, in these days of isolation due to the coronavirus uh, in, in order to perform some acts of kindness. So uh, I just simply did a little, a little search. I went to a search engine and I just typed in acts of kindness during the coronavirus and immediately uh, an article popped up that, that gave 25 suggestions. So you, you might want to Google it yourself, see what you find. I just want to share a few of them with you. You know, say, call a friend you haven't spoken to for a while. Tell a family member how much you love and appreciate them. Tell someone you know why you are thankful for them. Send a motivational text to a friend who is struggling. Send an inspirational quote to a friend. Reach out to call a friend, family member, or neighbor who is experiencing loneliness or self-isolation. 
donate to food banks or offer support to vulnerable neighbors. Those are all good suggestions about how you can show kindness in this time of, of uh, being quarantined, home or work during this time. And then uh, one night this week, uh, uh, maybe Monday night or so, I think there was a, there was a life a group uh, leaders uh, a Zoom conference and, and, and I learned about some things that were taking place um, through the different classes that were going on and what they might have been doing. Some of them gathered together in a virtual community uh, to share uh, craft work together. Some of them had virtual game nights. Some of them had taken meals and volunteered to help people with yard work and to go grocery shopping. Uh, some of them, and I love this, uh, kids' teachers gave video messages to children, quoting scripture and saying some wonderful things. That was heartwarming. I love, I love that. And then they were talking about uh, some other things that would, can, can be put into practice about that. And Brian sent me some things, and then Allison Kelly sent me some things that I want to share with you that she says, here's some, some specific ways that I know people have shown love to their neighbor during the quarantine. Uh, Shirley, Jim, and Josh Salter went to Seneca and Nisa, South Carolina, to work with disaster relief after the tornadoes. Then she said, our Spring Valley Baptist Church kids were challenged during our virtual spirit week to show kindness to a neighbor, and here's what some of them did. Whitney Raper donated stuffed bears to the Richland County Sheriff Department. Caleb Botha cut his neighbor's grass. I wish I lived next door to you, Caleb. Uh, Hannah and Megan McGillis uh, decorated their neighbor's driveway with a chalk drawing on, of the cross. Gabby and Emma Navarrete made cards for a nursing home. Claire McManaway made cookies and delivered them on, on the porch to her neighbor. And Carter Garbett helped the small child who had wandered outside without parents to get back safely inside. Now, that's just the ones that, that I know about. If you did some of those wonderful acts of kindness, let Miss Allison know so that she can celebrate with you in those things as well. And then this, during this time, it's also a time that you don't forget your one. You know, we talked about that before we had to take this break and be quarantined and go virtual. And we we're focusing on our one that was far from God that we'd be praying for and sharing the gospel with. Be creative this week about how you can show kindness to that one or to your neighbor and do something about that. Then the third application is this, that agape love enables me to forgive others. The Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. In Matthew 18, Simon Peter asked Jesus, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who has sinned against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus, I think, blew Simon away when he said, not, not, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. So when we're thinking about this, th think about somebody who's hurt you in the past. They failed you. They might have used you or abused you. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe they slandered your name, your character, your reputation. It might be a family member. It might be a, a, a former boss or a current boss or a co-worker. Somebody you thought was a trusted friend. And, and if you're sitting there saying, well, I can't think of anybody, you're indeed blessed. You're a rare individual. If you get in touch with that, that somebody has offended you, somebody's hurt you, somebody's abused you, what are you doing about it? Well, I want to challenge you, because I challenge myself, to love them the way that Jesus loves. Will you forgive them? 
even if they don't come begging you to forgive them? That's what we need to do because that's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. Because we did all those things to him when we were sinners. The word to forgive literally means to release. And, and unforgiveness is when your fist is clenched tight. But forgiveness can be expressed when you release that tension from your clenched fist. And you're able to relax that and you're able to forgive. And, and that's what happens. When you're holding a grudge against somebody because of what they've done to you, 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 you can feel it physically, spiritually, emotionally. There's a tenseness in your body and soul about that. But when you're able to love, and agape love, and to forgive somebody who's hurt you, there's a great release of all that tension. And it comes by loving the way that Jesus loves us. So, we're talking today about love, and we heard Jesus call it a new command. And the new command of love from Jesus calls us to love one another in the same way that he loves us. I'm reminded about a, a short poem written by Edwin Markham, who was an American poet who was amazing with, with his way with words. Uh, and out of a, a compilation called The Shoes of Happiness, he had this, uh, this little poem. And he said, he drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had a wit to win, and we drew a circle that took him in. See, even when somebody might have shut you out, you can circle them in love. I think this is going to be a great study in these six weeks together with these words associated with messy relationships because life is filled with messy relationships. There's also a lot of uncertainty out there in the world today due to this coronavirus. But I want to share with you something in closing today of which you can be certain. And that is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that he wants a personal relationship with you. And the only thing that stands in the way of that is your sin. But in his love for you, God has sent Jesus into this world that he went to the cross as a sacrifice in our place for our sins so that your sins could be forgiven and you could have a relationship with God. When Jesus died on the cross, he was taking your punishment and my punishment because of our sins so that we could put our faith and trust in him as our Savior and have that relationship with God. If you've never done that in your life, then today would be a great day while we're talking about love and God's love and loving the way that Jesus loves us. To simply say, God, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for sending Jesus Christ as a substitute to take my place on the cross. I thank you by doing that. He forgives me of my sin. I ask Jesus into my life to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. And I do that by faith. If you do that and ask him to come into your life as a simple prayer. But it has a profound influence in your life. A profound outcome as you live in relationship with God through love. Sometimes you might not feel like loving others when you're in a messy relationship. But Jesus has taught us today that loving through a messy relationship is the way that he teaches us to love because that's the way that he loves us in a sacrificial manner. And he teaches us that when we love that way, then we show to the world that we are a true disciple and follower 
of Jesus Christ. This week, let's practice that love as God leads you. Father, we thank you for loving us in a very special way that you would still desire a relationship with us. And you sent Christ in to the cross. He came into this sinful world to die in our place. Father, today may we understand the depth of that love for us and may we try to emulate that love of Christ as we choose to love with agape love. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of what people have done to us, in spite of the, the shortcomings of other people, may we learn to love with agape love and show the world that we are your disciples. Give us the faith and strength to do that. We ask in your name. Amen.